Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, May 10th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. Personalizing public education. Plus, a crisis unfolding in Jerusalem. But first, Bernie Sanders and the future of the Democratic Party is today's one big thing. Senator Bernie Sanders is getting impatient with the White House. That's one of the big takeaways from his conversation with our own Jonathan Swan for Axios on HBO. And Jonathan is with me now. Hey, Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So President Biden's been seeking bipartisan support for his big infrastructure and jobs package. Where does Senator Bernie Sanders stand on that? So Senator Sanders is very skeptical about this interregnum period that we find ourselves in where Biden and his team are basically saying, we have a little time now, let's see what we can figure out with Republicans. They obviously passed the first big COVID package with just Democratic votes. They moved really fast. The Republicans offered a much smaller compromise proposal and they just reject, Democrats and Biden rejected it out of hand, steamrolled them. This time around, they're, they're projecting a very different pose. He made the point to me, when voters get a check in the mail of $1,400, they don't, they don't care whether Republicans voted for it or not. They just want the action. So he's already getting impatient and he wants them to move faster. I wanted to ask you about something else that stood out in your interview, and it was a question you asked him about police unions. Of course, Senator Sanders has always been very pro-organized labor, but where's his stance on police unions right now? You have many union leaders of other unions, public sector unions, who frankly believe that the police unions don't belong in their movement because a lot of these police unions have been actively hostile to criminal justice reform. And there's also a history of police unions negotiating disciplinary measures that basically shield police officers from accountability. So Bernie Sanders said to me that He's fine with police unions being able to negotiate wages and hours, but when it comes to negotiating, quote unquote, benefits that touch on criminal justice or interfere with criminal justice, he would support legislation that would constrain their ability to negotiate on that. And that's a really big deal. You had a long conversation with him. Everyone should watch the entire thing on Axios on HBO. But I just wanted to end by asking what the conversation revealed to you about Bernie Sanders' big picture concerns about the Democratic Party. So it's noteworthy. I mean, we did the interview in Louisville, Kentucky. And that's not a place where you would necessarily expect to see the most left-wing member of the United States Senate who represents Vermont. But Bernie Sanders for a long time has believed that the Democratic Party can do much better in these very poor red states like Kentucky and West Virginia. Bernie Sanders believes that when you're doing things that are very simple and tangible, like sending them checks in the mail or providing free health care or childcare or, or any other benefit that directly impacts their lives, you can win over some of those voters. One thing he said to me that really struck me was he does not believe it's sustainable for the Democratic Party to keep becoming more and more reliant on college-educated voters. I think it is fair to say, uh, as a result of heavy-duty corporate campaign contributions, the Democratic Party has drifted away from being the party of FDR and even Harry Truman. It's one of the biggest trends we're seeing in politics right now is this polarization along education lines. 
and he wants to refocus the Democratic Party purely as a working class progressive firm. Axios political reporter Jonathan Swan. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks. We'll be back in a moment with the hybrid future for U.S. education. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Welcome back to Axios Today. As the school year comes to an end, parents are wondering what the fall will look like for their kids. One thing's clear, remote learning isn't going anywhere. In fact, one in five school districts are planning or considering a post-pandemic remote option for students. Axios' Brian Walsh has been reporting on what the future of education looks like. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Brian, schools have always been slow to change, but the pandemic really forced them to quickly adapt. And I'm not just talking about remote learning. What else is happening? Schools really learn to do hybrid. I mean, that's what you're seeing a lot of students in right now, which is this kind of mix of some in-person, some remote. And also you're seeing parents uh, move to homeschooling in a much larger percentage than was the case before the pandemic. So you take this institution that as you said, really does not change very quickly. And that was forced during the pandemic. It had to evolve to survive. There are some students who have actually preferred remote learning. Can you talk about some of the benefits of this? Well, if you're a kid who maybe you have social anxiety, maybe you've suffered from bullying at school, maybe you just don't like the school environment, this can be better for you, especially if you're able to sort of set your own course and get education that kind of meets you where you are, which is possible increasingly with online schooling. That can be good for you. For parents of color, I think there have been some who have said that they feel safer with their kids at home, not just because of the virus, but because maybe they felt they weren't getting a fair shake, frankly, in-person schooling. And also with remote, they can actually see what's going on in the classroom. I think that's a real benefit. It actually opens the door, opens the window, so to speak, to what's going on in those schools. What are you watching for as we think about how public school education changes? What I really see is a shift towards personalization. I mean, education is a really mass experience. It's one of the few mass experiences that I think Americans really still share. But increasingly going forward, if you break it into remote, if you break it into homeschooling, uh, if you break it into something in between, you're going to have kids who have very different experiences, even if they live in the same area. And that can be good. You know, a mass education approach has not served everyone all that well. At the same time, again, you have a situation where those who have the ability, those who have the money, frankly, the effort on the part of their parents can do really well. But if you lack any of those things, I worry that you'll get in a situation where public school districts, we're already seeing enrollment drop during the pandemic. That means less funding, which could mean kind of a downward spiral for the experience of the kids who do have to go to school in person and are kind of left behind in that way. Brian Walsh is Axios' future correspondent. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. It was a violent weekend in Jerusalem, with at least 300 Palestinians injured in skirmishes with Israeli police, especially during Friday's Muslim holiday. At least 17 Israeli officers were also injured. I asked Axios' Tel Aviv correspondent, Barak Ravid, what we need to know about what happened this weekend. Here's his answer. Like everything in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it's complicated. The tensions in Jerusalem have been brewing for several weeks after the Israeli police put new restrictions on Palestinians in the old city of Jerusalem during the holy month of Ramadan. This led to protests in Jerusalem and to a flare-up in Gaza. When this calmed down, tensions moved to a new flashpoint, the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood in East Jerusalem, where an organization of Jewish settlers tried using a law from the 1950s that discriminates against Palestinians in order to evict two dozen families from their homes. 
This escalation happens during the most sensitive days in the calendar, the end of Ramadan and the Jerusalem Unification Day, when emotions on both sides run high. And if this is not complicated enough, it happens when both Israel and the Palestinians face a deep political crisis. In Israel, Netanyahu's rivals are trying to form an alternative government that will end the political crisis that included four elections in two years. On the other side, Palestinian President Abbas postponed the long-awaited elections, fearing his party would lose. This political instability is not helping to calm things down one bit. Axios correspondent Barak Ravid is based in Tel Aviv, and you can see his latest updates at Axios.com. That's it for us today. You can always send us feedback. Our email is podcasts at axios.com, or you can message me directly on Twitter. And don't forget, you can always tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.